Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. A rancher's work will never seem to end. Bail the hay, then there's a fence to mend. It sometimes seems to be all work, no play. And though it's worth it, I have to say, if you're ever feeling down and blue, there's just one thing I'll recommend to you. Swing on, cowboy. Swing on till the cows come home. Don't be so cool. You better rally your spurs and make some noise. Swing on, cowboy. Swing on till the cows come home. Don't be so cool. You better rally your spurs and make some noise. I once met a man who did not know how to swing. Sad, sad thing. He did not know how to swing. Until one day that swinging bug bit him mid-stride. That sun settled down and he swung throughout the night. Swing on, cowboy. Swing on till the cows come home. Don't be so poor. You better rattle your spurs and make some noise. When you start feeling down, it seems you don't know how to smile. Don't wait around to try and smile after one. When you're finished working horses and bailing hay, throw your worries out the door. Settle down and swing away Tennessee, that is Lily Roberts, Cowboy Swing is the song, and welcome to the show on this chilly, chilly, cold winter morning in Nashville, Tennessee, and joining me in Albuquerque, New Mexico is kind of a chilly Bobby Jean Bell. Good morning, Bobby. <laughs> I've got the fireplace on. <laughs> Good morning. I got out this Good morning. morning. Yeah, I got out this morning, the wind chill. Was thirteen, so Ooh. a little bit, a little bit chilly, chilly, chilly. chilly. <laughs> yeah, I see How's it. your weather out I now, Turkey? Well, it's a it's a beautiful blue sky day, but we are at thirty five degrees. I know some parts of the state might be getting some not some you know some typical winter weather today, but here in the Albuquerque area, we just have another enchanted blue sky day. <laughs> <laughs> 
Blue skies, but a cool day. So anyway. Yes. Hey, we have a cool right. show today. We have a really cool show today. And uh, who's our first guest today on the Campfire Cafe? Well, today is National DJ Day. So to all of our friends who are DJs who may be listening, happy DJ Day. And our guest today on Campfire Cafe joining us for the first time is Bob Nobles. And I believe he has with him, so we may hear from her as well, Gretchen Priest May. So welcome to them. And who do we have in the second hour? In the second hour of the show, we kind of shifted things around. So we've got Backcountry Horse from America joining us for this third Thursday of the month instead of the first. But Randy Rasmussen is joining us. And then Joanne Mitchell is going to be joining us. So we've got a lot of great music and a lot of great conversation to share with our listeners today on both the Campfire Cafe and on Saddle Up America. Right now, we're going to listen to a song. I need this. I really, really need this. This is, you know what this is. This is Black Coffee. I do. And it's, <laughs> it is from our good friend, Lacey J. Dalton. And we're going to listen to that. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Bob Nobles today on Campfire Cafe.
Welcome back to Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Black Coffee, performed by Lacey J. Dalton. Today's guest, Bob Nobles, grew up on his family's cattle ranch in Denton, Texas. A young fan of Roy Rogers and Sons of the Pioneers, his mom bought him his first guitar with S&H green stamps. I remember those when he was 10. <laughs> the appearance of the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show inspired him to get an electric guitar and amp playing in bands while still in school. He's never looked back. Influenced by the first actual songwriter he saw perform, Michael Martin Murphy, and others who were students at North Texas State University, he moved to Austin in the early 70s to be part of the country rock scene where he played in several bands. In 1980, he made a pilgrimage to Nashville to check out the songwriter community and never left. Bob plays upright bass, guitar, and mandolin, and in 2016, he released an album of his own original country Americana songs titled Windmills and Wheatfields. Good friend Gretchen Priest May, who also joins us, played fiddle on all the songs, and she's the owner of the Musical Heritage Center, also known as the Fiddle and Pick. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe, a talented songwriter, musician, and performer who appears regularly with the Nashville Pie Holes. I want to hear more about them. A hillbilly punk grass band, Bob Nobles. Welcome, Bob and Gretchen. Hello. Hey, good to be here. Good morning, guys. How are good things there in Pegram, Tennessee? You know, a little icy. Uh, a little, little cold, but, but nice. We're in a nice, warm, fiddling pick here. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, we got a message early this morning that closed Davidson County Schools. And it's like I looked out, and it's like, where's all the snow? Do we have a little snow? <laughs> I heard but, uh, the same thing. My daughter called me and, and said the same thing about her <laughs> indexing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good to have you with us, and we've got some great music that we're going to share today, but we want to find out just a little bit more about you. So Roy Rogers was a hero, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought it was Roy Rogers when I was about five or six and dressed <laughs> dressed up in the Western clothes. And I've always had a kind of a fascination with uh, the West and the 1800s, and I think that's been a, carried on throughout my life. Yeah, and singing cowboys like Roy and uh, yep. and Dale, but uh, yeah, and I saw Martin something, Murphy. Bobby, Bobby, Michael Martin Murphy. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. We're going to be playing some of uh, Murph's music a little bit later on in the show, uh, as well as his son Ryan's music. Yep, I know know Ryan yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got we got we've got it covered today on both the Campfire Cafe and Saddle of America. But uh, so you started playing when you were when? How old? Well, my my mother was a piano player, and I kind of learned stuff from her, and then I started taking piano lessons when I was five. Um, and then, like like I uh, said before, that she bought me a guitar when I was ten, with S and H Green Stamps, which is and uh, I learned that, and then uh, yeah, from there I just kept playing, picking up different stuff. All right. And when did you meet Gretchen? Gosh, we met in 98, 1990, yeah. almost 23 years ago. 
Just, yeah, at a church, wow. actually. We went. Yeah. We were at the same community church. There's a lot of music uh, people from Nashville and surrounding areas. And um, so that's, I, I don't know. We, he's, I think, one of my longest friends here in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gretchen, right. I know we're, we're going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we're going to talk about Bob, but Gretchen, where was home to you? Uh, you know, I moved uh, to Nashville from South Bend, Indiana. And uh, I guess it was either the end of 95, but I'm thinking maybe it was January 96. It's kind of a blur, but I was playing with an artist named Joylyn White, really good singer, and and uh, came here to do her, her tours. And before long, I was in like seven bands and played a lot of a lot of different styles of fiddling. And I'm a professional fiddle teacher, and um, I teach country and old time and bluegrass, but I also have a fascination for Irish fiddling. And uh, oh, right. so my brand, my brand is plaid grass. <laughs> plaid <laughs> grass. <laughs> all right, all right. Master well, and none, you, but you, you know, Jack All right. <laughs> I, I know a little bit about that, by the way. Master and none. But uh, so, Bob, when you got ready to do this uh, this album, Windmills and Wheatfields, how did you decide to put this together, and how did you select the people that were performing with you on the album? Well, uh, I'd, I'd had the uh, idea, I just had the idea of the name, just the title, Windmills and Wheatfields, for a long time, and I knew it was going to, I wanted it to be a CD project, and I didn't even have the song for it, uh, but I had a, a backlog of songs I'd had done over about 10-year period, and uh, I just, I'd met a lot of people just in everyday life living around Nashville, and uh, I knew I wanted to be include them and have them uh, be a part of it. And I was just fortunate enough to have everybody agree to to play on it. And uh, so anyway, it just kind of came back, kind of came came around organically, pretty much. Okay. Uh, well, it's pretty cool because the music community in Nashville is is pretty awesome, and uh, it's oh, amazing yeah. how people are so willing to help out other people and. Get together it is pretty incredible. Just people I met in everyday life that became friends were also happened to be world class musicians too. So that was <laughs> it's, it was a big plus. <laughs> pretty cool deal. It is a pretty cool deal. Well, let's take a listen to the title cut from the album. This is Windmills and Wheatfields. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Bob Noble today on the Campfire Cafe. <laughs> When I was young on a hill I would lie Watch a red-tailed hawk make lazy circles in the sky I'd look down upon the valley below Pretend Comanche braves were chasing buffalo Windmills and wheat fields across the Texas plains Stretching out as far as you our ponies to the canyons we would ride, searching for bad outlaws and the places they would hide, with our red rider rifles chasing Bass and Jesse James, 
we had them cornered, but they always got away. Windmills and wheat fields across the Texas plains, stretching out as far as you can see. Windmills and wheat fields, though everything has changed, they're still living in my memory. Building 30 stories high Corporate meetings And the bottom line When it gets to be too much I simply close my eyes And travel back to another Southwest Texas State in San Marcos back in the early 70s, and uh, Rod Kennedy uh, started the, his festival there in Kerrville, which was close by, and uh, the Folk Festival, and I, I was I was there for the first one uh, and went back several times over the years, but uh, yeah, it's just a great, great experience. It's uh, four days of all the music you could ever want. It goes on 24 hours a day, pretty much, or People wow. playing around campfires and, you know, pretty much all night long. And then they have the stuff on the stage. They have workshops. And uh, great, great experience. Uh, a lot of people have been discovered there that became big, big stars uh, over the years. And uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I went back. I guess the last time I was there was about four or five years ago. Uh, 
and it's it's still there, still going strong. <laughs> okay, now I want to know about the Willie Nelson picnic. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> now that was pretty crazy. That was uh, the first Fourth of July picnic in Dripping Springs that he had in '72, mm-hmm. I think, and uh, or it might have been '73. But it was summertime, blazing hot. You know, 110 degrees in Texas, and all these, uh, I guess they call hippies and cowboys all together there, <laughs> you know, which was kind of a unique thing at the time. But Willie, you know, Willie uh, threw that kind of a crowd. And it was great. It was a great experience. Like Chris Christopherson, Leon Russell, um, Bobby Bear, they had, I think, Ray Price. It was just a great, great experience. Uh, we almost all died from heat. <laughs> Dripping Springs, uh, Gary, I think that's uh, Alex Dormont of the Hot Texas Swing Band calls that home. I know there's a lot of history to music in Dripping Springs. Yeah, how cool. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I I think the next song Gary has queued up is Calgary Stampede. I love this song. You want to just give us a little backstory to it? Sure. Yeah, I wrote that with my friend Annette Barkley, who's the in the uh, her band is the Nashville Piles, which you know, I play with. But uh, mm-hmm. I met Annette back probably ten, twelve years ago. Uh, she was working for Bonaparte's Retreat, which is Emmy Lou Harris's uh, dog rescue, uh, right. and I met her at one of their events, and we decided to ride together. And Annette is from Canada and had lived in Calgary, so the first time we got together to ride, I asked her to tell me about Calgary. And, and while she was telling me about Calgary, I was just writing down all the stuff she was saying. And mm. a lot of it was uh, to do with the Calgary Stampede. So I said, okay, we're going to write, that's the song we're going to write. We're going to write the song about the Calgary Stampede. And so we just went down the list and kind of wrote the song off of that. <laughs> and Gretchen's, Gretchen well, and Tim played a really great fiddle and uh, mandolin part on this. They added a lot to it. Wow. Well, the Calgary Stampede is a great event, and uh, let's take a listen to Bob Noble's song, Calgary Stampede. We'll come back in just a moment today on the Campfire Cafe. Put on your boots and your cowboy hat and your favorite pair of jeans. I'll take you to Let's head out to the rock. 
set our spirits free. The greatest outdoor show on earth is the Calvary Stampede. your place there in Pegram? Oh, well, um, uh, uh, I guess when we're, we opened April 4th, 2008, and I'm a, uh, it's a Nashville Professionals teaching instruments, acoustic instruments, um, and they've all, you know, have uh, all kinds of credentials in the music business, but they all have a heart of a teacher, and so we have private lessons and group classes and uh, host uh, very inclusive jams to get people going, whether it be, you know, bluegrass or the Irish session. Or we have slow jammers. We have a kid's jam. But so we fixed, I fixed up an old building that was near condemned. It was a farmer's house, and he extended it to be bigger, knocked down some walls, made it be a general store. It's 120 years old. Um, wow. So when I bought it, it was near condemned, and it's beautiful now. And so, um, but... It's called the Fiddle and Pick. That would be the building. But then the events we have, uh, we have a Bigfoot, of course, in music education, and uh, a lot of tr- uh, Bigfoot in the traditional music, you know. But um, we also have uh, Bigfoot in the history of where this stuff comes from, too. 
So, and okay. then performance as well. So um, our events, uh, special events that we have, I mean, we're day in, day out teaching. All these teachers have a stake in it. And, uh, but uh, when we have events, it's a musical heritage center. So it is all one and the same. I say it's like, you know, the, the building is the, the where you go. What are you going to, where are you going? I'm going to fiddle and pick. What are you going to do when you get there? Well, I'm going to play fiddle and I'm going to pick. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of that, that uh, go, you know, destination, location kind of thing. But then when we have special events, they're real niche You know, people um, do different things. Um, it could be like I recently just had that Appalachian old time string band. Uh, it's called the 8th of January old time music uh-huh. weekend. That was just two weekends ago. The weekend closes wow. to the 8th of January. And in the spring, uh, after Easter roughly, um, I have an Irish weekend. And mm-hmm. we had kids music day camp in the summer. And um, the next thing, I guess, is a chili cook-off silent auction to help the center. Mm. It's, something, uh, annual, it's an annual fundraiser, but we haven't done it for two years. So it's, we're just starting to kind of make it come back again, you know. Right, and so, right. Uh, but, uh you know, 2008 was not a good year to open a business in America. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> no, not I might be good. the only business in the Nashville area that opened in that year and is still open. I, I talked to people that yeah. they didn't make it. So God must yeah. want me to do it. So it's a kind of a I calling, so. it's sort of a musical ministry without really preaching anybody, just including everybody, make them feel at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gretchen, well, I have Pegram, a question, Tennessee. I think. Yeah, I was just going to say, Pegram, Tennessee is just a beautiful little community just west of Nashville. So yes, go down yes. I-40, you can get off right there in Pegram and visit with them. And, and then, uh, it's on that Bob's country on music highway, the Memphis right. Bristol Highway. That is right. That is right. Go ahead and ask your question, Bobby. Gretchen, I have a um, maybe a silly question, but I would wonder if our listeners, some of our listeners might wonder this from time to time. What makes a violin a fiddle and a fiddle a violin? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, structurally, they're, they're the same. Um, of course, I have my jokes like uh, a violin has strings. And the fiddle has strings, you know. But, yeah, uh, right. Besides that, I've got a whole bunch of those. But I, uh, you know, uh, but really, the main difference is this: violin. Uh, not all violin music, but a majority of violin music is for a seated audience. You know, you don't want to clap and stomp your foot. Uh-huh. You want to hear all the nuances, whether it be a you know a violinist, a soloist, or chamber music, or a symphony. You know, uh, uh-huh. but Fiddle music, predominantly, a majority of fiddle music, uh, traditionally, you know, before, you know, pop culture and all that, uh, traditionally, fiddle music was for dance, whether it would be square dancing and contra dancing and the Irish step dancing or the Scottish dancing or the clogging, buff dancing, flat footing, all those, there's so many variants. So it's dance music. So when you play fiddle, uh, you're like a singer with the instrument as a violinist uh-huh. is like a singer on the string, but you're also a drummer. You're holding the rhythm. And uh-huh. early, in America, early in America, the fiddle was here before other, other things, probably Scot- Scotch, Irish, Irish, you know, uh, immigrants, right. but the fiddle was here and a lone fiddler would have to hold together a dance. And so they would play the melody, but they'd have to be rhythmic. So Got it's it. a different style. 
And um, so I do little seminars and show examples of these for, for, you know, I'm kind of a nerd on this stuff. But but, uh, but anyway, it's the main thing. It's just for the dance. And I play for all all kinds of dancers. I love to play for dancers. And I love to, to show people the difference. So kind of fun. Thank you. That's a great explanation. Best I've ever heard. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> so Bob Nobles, my dog Sam, my dog Sam has listened uh-huh. to me play this song a few times. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about, about your dog. Your dog? <laughs> that's, a, that's a strange one. I, I, I came up with that. I was actually in Texas at the time and I was about to go listen or go play with a friend of mine, Boomer Castleman. He was playing in Fort Worth. And I was taking a nap uh, right before going up there, and I was just laying there kind of in between being asleep and awake, and that song just came to me. (laughs) I have no idea where it came from, but I had a guitar (laughs) there, and I I picked it up and wrote the song in 15 minutes. And uh, it was kind of based on a, on a, a relationship I'd had with, someone who had a dog that they, you know, let, he rode up in the front seat, you know, I had to ride in the back. That, that was all true. That was all true. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually wrote that song that, that <laughs> wrote the song the afternoon, probably one of the fastest, easiest songs I've ever written. And I actually played it that night when I went to Fort Worth and played with my friend, Boomer Castleman, who was oh, a good God. friend of Michael Murphy's by the way. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's all that true. That is funny. <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. Well, this is your dog. This is Bob Noble. We'll be back in just a minute. Talk more with Bob on the campus podcast. He rides in the front seat and I ride in the back. While I'm eating leftovers, he's dining on gourmet snacks. While he gets to run free You treat your dog better Than you treat me Rub him on his belly And he gives your face a lick When I want a little loving You tell me to go fetch a stick Every time I get next
uh, I'd been on a trip before that down to Mobile Bay area, and I think just some of that seeped through there, and uh, it just all came out as a song. I got that first line in there about the mockingbirds uh, making fun of my broken heart, and then everything just else came came out of that. And um, anyway, I, I had a, my friend David Beauvert plays a really nice uh, horn part on this, and he, he added a lot to it. Too, so. All right. Well, Mobile Bay, it is from the album Wheatfields and Windmills and Wheatfields. We'll be back and talk more with Mr. Bob Nobles in just a moment and Gretchen as well. <laughs>
Mobile Bay, Bob Nobles. Boy, if you need to um, hey, take a moment to relax by the water in the sun, that's the song to do it by. <laughs> <We're talking> <laughs> with <laughs> our guest, Bob and Gretchen today. So, Bob, um, all of the music that we're listening to today and from the CD, uh, Windmills and Wheatfields, is original. Will you share a little bit about your songwriting process, how how you keep track of the ideas as they come and, and how you start and, and when you know you've completed a song? Wow, that's that's a good question. It's actually, every song's kind of different. Uh, that way, I'm, I'm pretty old school. I just write everything down on a yellow the legal pad <laughs> when I get ideas. Uh, I finally did go buy like a little Zoom hand recorder so I can uh, record some stuff, but... Uh, I just keep notebooks full of ideas and go back and, you know, uh, some songs come out all together in 10 minutes and some take years to write. It's just a, it, it's it's a very different, for me, a very different process. Uh, you know, I I, I just kind of work, work at it as much as I can. And uh, I write, co-write a lot, too. I have a lot of good friends, Bo, Bo Jameson co-wrote two two songs on the album with me, and she sang all the backup harmonies and did a couple of the lead parts. Uh, anyway, I've been, you know, been uh, do that, co-write, and then write some myself. And I still do, still do that. Do you have any song. good tips? I'm sorry, go uh-huh. ahead, Gretchen. Yeah, I, I, I would play and back uh, Bob on fiddle at Coffee House or something like that, and he gave me a... a of CD of songs, and I said, "Wow, that one song is really interesting." It's almost like I, you, know, you got bagpipes opening up for it. I go, "That's a really interesting song." Is that where does that thought come from? And it actually was a letter of I think a great great grandpa, yeah. um, who uh, the letter made it home. This is during the Civil War. Great great something grandpa. The letter made it home, but the soldier did not. And uh, but it was based on his words of a letter to his family that he was about ready to come home, and it, so he made a song of it. And we actually did a, a interesting program with those types of songs with that theme. And uh, mm-hmm. but Bob, he'll just come up. He'll have a little seed, and he'll he'll take it and go. That's one thing I've learned mm-hmm. of being around him. Doesn't take much mm-hmm. for him to sprout that bud. <laughs> <laughs> So when well, you're working a on a song, <laughs> when you're working on a song and it and it hasn't really gotten itself all the way to the end, how do you do you file it away and pull it out on another, yeah. you know, later? So you have the legal pads. You work on legal pads. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you pull it off the legal pad and put it in a some kind of a Manila envelope or something that has written on it, you know, future projects or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, my friend uh, Bo Jameson, who's a Grammy-nominated songwriter, I've, I've learned a lot from her. She's helped me kind of get organized. She made two folders up with uh, future projects and completed projects. So I've kind of used mm-hmm. that uh, method. <laughs> but it's hard uh-huh. to tell. You know, you just, I guess you just you can't ever really say any song is really complete or done. You just kind of have to get to a point mm-hmm. where you go, well, this is this is good enough. I can't keep doing this. You know? This this it's so good it, enough. You could always be better. You always think you could do something different and add right, something to it. Right. 
the next song that Gary's going to play is Back to the Ranch. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. That's that that comes from uh growing up on the cattle ranch. Uh I was around a lot of cowboys back in those real actual cowboys on the ranch that worked there. And uh, I've always had a big uh fascination with the 1800s and so that song came out of that just the thinking about those guys and putting myself back in the 1800s. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's Bernie Nelson sang the lead on this, and he's another multi-award winning songwriter, friend of mine, uh, who I tour with in Texas quite a bit. And uh, he, he sang lead on this. So. Okay. Great song. Back to the Ranch. We'll be back in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe. <laughs> Well, it all started out like any other evening Till we saddled up and rode into town Some of the boys were getting kind of restless We headed out just before sundown I turned 21, had some jingle in my pocket Cause we got It's four in the morning. 
Bob Noble with Bernie Nelson back to the ranch, and it is from the CD, Windmills and Wheatfields. Well, you guys have just been a ton of fun on the show today. I got to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed it. Yes, I enjoyed it too. Thank you. Gretchen, we'll have to do it again. We'll have to do it again. Well, I'd love that. All right. So, Gretchen, let's start with you. Do you have a do you have a website or a Facebook page or anything people can go to to follow you? Yeah, um, pretty much. Uh, Fiddleandpick.com is my website and, and the Facebook, um, and I have help with that um, because um, sort of like jack of all trades around here. I am the right. everything. <laughs> I'm the secretary, right. the janitor, the you know, bottle washer, full-time educator, jam hoster, event coordinator. So, but yeah, fiddleandpick.com, and that leads to in there's the Facebook is that too. All right, great. And Mr. Bob Nobles, how can we find you and follow you? Pick up this great album. Uh, yeah, well, I have a Facebook page and also have a Facebook music page, Bob Nobles Music, on Facebook. You can uh, find the album on CD Baby. It's on Amazon, uh, all, you know, Spotify, iTunes, uh, uh, Apple Music. Uh, and if you just Google windmills and wheat fields, it'll, it'll, all the places will probably come up. Uh, also, I've, uh, I did record that at a friend of mine's studio, Trey Bear Studios in Dixon, spelled T-R-E-S-B-E-A-R. And I think he has, the, you can sample it there. You can listen to it. Or you can listen to it on YouTube, I think. It's, it's pretty much everywhere. So, All right. Well, it is a fun CD, and, uh, and I think we've got about six songs. You can go back and listen to this show on uh, iHeartRadio and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and iTunes after the show is over. But you guys have been absolutely great. And, uh, Bob, we're going to close out this part of the show with your song Red Bird in the Snow, so that sounds kind of appropriate for our weather back here in Tennessee right now. Yeah, yeah but, definitely uh, on the day like today. I actually wrote that yes. in 1984 when my first uh, child was born, and I was sitting there about Jan- about this time of year and looking out at the snow, and there was a red bird uh, out there, and I just that kind of connected that with all the thoughts of being a new father, and so that's that's what this is about. That's an old old song of I've written. <laughs> well, it is a great, great song. It's Red Bird in the Snow. We've been talking with Bob and Gretchen today on the Campfire Cafe. Thank you guys both so much for being with us today. Thank you, Gary. She's pretty as a red bird in the snow. Soft and gentle as a baby doe. Sometimes she's helpless as a kitten up a tree She means everything to me She can't touch my heart with her tiny hand Make me jump for joy with a little grin I just can't believe that she's so innocent and free Thinking that the time
while he's riding mighty tall in life's circumstance. He'd rope that old storm if given a chance. And with a nugget of wisdom on this hard cattle drive, the spirit of the cowboy is well and delight. Heidi Ho Montana beneath the big sky, your high shining mountains are bright and delight. Heidi Ho Montana full of garnets and gold. And your son sing a song to your sweet big sky soul. And then a voice deep as God you can hear the earth sing like a howl from the canyon that will never be tamed. For it's not about the money silver or gold but the secrets of life only hard lands can hold Heidi Ho Montana beneath the big sky your high shining mountains are bright and alive Heidi Ho Montana Full of garnets and gold And your son sing a song To your sweet big sky soul Saddle of America, and that is Heidi Ho Montana, our good friends Chris and Jan Harrison, and uh, better known as Rodeo and Juliet with their music. But uh, we're tickled to death to have Backcountry Horsemen of America join us today. We kind of got things reversed a little bit. They're usually here the first Thursday of the month, but they were gracious enough to join us for this third Thursday show. And as always, Mr. Randy Rasmussen is with us. Hey, Randy. Hello, Gary. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. How's your weather out in, uh, in Washington? Are you Washington? I'm in Oregon State, and I can't Oregon. complain. I mean, it's it's in, in in the kind of rainy part. Oh, Bobby's there, too. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just rainy and glum, kind of. I'm not too happy, but I heard you guys got hit re- pretty hard recently. Well, we had some ice and snow last week that shut things down for a couple of days, and then we got just a little bit last night, just enough to close the schools in our county. So, but it's it's a nice warm 27 degrees here, and uh, so we'll survive. <laughs> we will survive. So we have a special guest that you brought with you today. You want to introduce her? I would be honored to introduce her because Backcountry Horsemen of America, you know, is an all-volunteer service organization. And we're only as good as the men and women 
um, that, you know, comprise our membership and that do the hard work, you know, week after week, year after year of keeping trails open, uh, you know, for uh, pack and saddle stock. So, you know, we can scour the 32 states in which Backcountry Horsemen of America is present and has multiple chapters, but I really wanted to highlight in your home state, in Tennessee, uh, a dynamic couple uh, that has just been doing it, you know, extraordinaire. And I want to give you a little bit of background. So Joanne Mitchell is on the phone with us today on, on the show, and uh, she hails from what we call the, uh, the Southern Appalachian, you know, chapter of Backcountry Horsemen of Tennessee. Her and her husband, Bobby, have been active for many years uh, in that chapter, and it's just amazing the level of, of professionalism and commitment that they both bring. And, and it turns out Bobby, every Thursday is a, a volunteer work day for the chapter. He's out working on trails at the moment, too, trying to, you know, assess the damage and, and, and get a lot of those trees that have been knocked down by your storms of recent um, so we understand why Bobby can't be with us today, too. But, you know, Joanne is going to talk to us, and she is has certification. She's a certified crew leader for trails. She is a certified sawyer on use of chainsaw. She is a master educator of leave no trace for stock use and teaches a two-day trainer course um, annually in the Smokies. I mean, it just the, the qualifications and the commitment of these folks is just amazing. And... The Mitchells are well-known. They're known throughout the big South Fork, you know, National River and Recreation Area, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, the Cherokee National Forest. And as we're speaking to Joanne, certainly I want you to ask her about, you know, how she manages races, like riding as a race manager. And most recently, just last year, started the first Pack Borough race in Tennessee. Oh, and wow. The first one, as, as far as we know, east of the Mississippi. Um, and just the last thing I'll say about this wonderful couple is they put in hundreds and hundreds of hours every year, you know, to keep trails open for, you know, equestrians and, and, and uh, pack and, and saddle stock users. It's just, they just blow me away. And so I'm so honored to introduce Joanne Mitchell. And I really want you to spend time chatting with her and I'll kind of stay in the background here, but, but welcome Joanne. And thanks for joining us. Hi there. Hey, Joanne. How are you? So far, so good. Ah, good, good. Well, first of all, let me say, tell Bobby we appreciate his uh, his steadfastness in getting out in this kind of weather and working <laughs> on these trails. So, Lord knows yeah, we've had enough Yeah, snow the last and two Thursdays have been else. amazing. I mean, the first Thursday of January, they got 101 chainsaw trees. Last Thursday, they've got 114 chainsaw trees because we've just had some weather wow. events here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you guys get involved with Backcountry Horsemen of America? Let me just start well, out I, by asking that question. Yeah, I've been involved since the early 1990s with North Carolina. They were probably one of the first states east of the Mississippi that joined, okay. and then when Backcountry Horsemen of East Tennessee started in the early 2000s, I joined them. And then in 2006, they started a chapter closer to us. So, you know, we kind of moved our membership around as, you know, we came nearer to home. 
Right. I got you. I got you. I got you. So are you are you avid trail riders? Uh, we used to be. Um, now we just kind of <laughs> look at them. Um, <laughs> Too busy working on them. Uh, well, yeah. Um, I've got a a 34-year-old retired walking horse that gets fed three times a day. So I stay home and feed him while Bobby goes on the work day. Mm. That sounds like a good deal to me. <laughs> well, first of all, let me let me start out by asking um, about the fact that that uh, tell us a little bit about what you do with the Appalachian area. Okay, um, I, I don't really have a, a title. I'm, I'm kind of dispatch. I'm one of the Facebook administrators. And I know people well enough that can handle our website. And uh, our president is Judy Haydorn and Secretary Linda Norton, and they are both avid trail riders that still get out and ride. And uh, so we pretty much cover Cherokee National Forest, and that's about 125 miles of designated horse trails. But we don't limit ourselves just to Cherokee National Forest. There's a couple of wildlife management areas that we work on, uh, a rails-to-trails project in Athens called the Eureka Trail, and we help build um, the Summit Knobs equestrian trail at uh, Enterprise South Nature Center in Hamilton County, Tennessee. We worked with a professional trail builder on that. So how what? What about your work with the Leave No Trace behind You're a um, master. I'm a master educator for stock use. I took a course in the Smokies. I think it was five days. And that gives you a lot of background about what, you know, for the non-horse user, you know, if they see a pile of manure on the trail, they just, you know, <laughs> think it's awful. And it's all organic material. You know, a horse is not a meat eater, and it doesn't uh, smell like dog poop or anything. But, uh, you know, we uh, have our way of, you know, making a pleasant experience of being out in nature for all. And that goes from everything to, you know, keeping your campsite quiet at night, not, you know, blasting radios at all hours, um, just being common courtesy to all trail users, even mountain bikers. Yes, they do have a place. Um, sometimes they coordinate well with horses and sometimes they don't. And we try to respect each other's uses. Right, right. Well, I know one of the most aggravating things to me is to be riding along the trail and see plastic water bottles scattered about. You know. mm-hmm. Pack it in, pack it out. Pack it in, pack it out. So that's one of the big things that that we need to do. We were talking a little bit about the fact that uh, one of the things that has happened in the equestrian world, and I think it happens with backcountry horsemen in America, is that uh, we're getting older and we're not being replaced by younger people because they have other things that they're doing. What is backcountry horsemen doing, and especially what is the Southern Appalachian chapter doing to try to bring new people, young people? Well, 
Mm-hmm. Now, my catcher is a little bit older. Um, I guess it's politically correct to say that we're mostly 50 and above. Uh, yeah. There, there are other chapters which are the younger kids, which is great. Um, Backcountry Horsemen of East Tennessee is is one of those. But uh, we try to get people when they are freshly retired from a real job. Uh, we have one guy right now that would be a great asset on the chainsaw crew, but we have to get him chainsaw certified through the National Forest, and that's a problem right now due to COVID. They're just not offering mm-hmm. the classes, and, you know, I've even asked our Southeast Public Lands Committee, you know, if there's a chainsaw course anywhere, we are willing to send, you know, shoot, I'll I'll pay for his motel room wherever just, just to get him certified because it is a national saw policy that he would be covered under. So tell us a little bit about this chainsaw certification. And you were talking earlier about the hundred and something trees that, that mm-hmm. you worked on, and another hundred and something. So what is the what is the rule about chainsaw versus uh, just the saw use? And, okay. And how do you go about getting chainsaw certified? Okay. You usually contact your local ranger district, and they will probably put you on a list, but we're in email contact with them frequently. Uh, we may not get a response, but uh, we're trying to get a chainsaw class started up. In wilderness areas, we can't use chainsaws. That's congressionally mandated wilderness. Uh, we have okay. several areas that do have horse trails in wilderness, on those areas, we have to use a crosscut saw, which is, you know, sometimes called a misery whip. Uh, you see them hanging in antique stores, and you know, you can buy them new, but actually, a lot of the older, better ones are the older ones. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. But you have to get them reconditioned, which is not cheap. There's very few people that you know are actually, you know, crosscut. You know, they can file them, they can sharpen them, and they know what they're doing. Gotcha. Sometimes. So, um, a lot of times these courses are free, sometimes through the um, uh, Wilderness Stewardship Institutes, WSI, which has gone national. A lot of times they're held over in North Carolina. Sometimes they're held nationally. But, again, COVID is the big interruptus thing in all this. Um, now, with a crosscut, you're automatically, you know, four to six feet apart because of the length of the saw, but they still right. sometimes want you to use a, uh, a face mask. You have to wear all your um, proper protection equipment, your helmet, your gloves, your chaps. Um, you know, it's a safety thing. We don't want anybody out there uh sawing their leg off and causing an emergency room visit, which may have right. people in it. You know, it's a safety thing. It doesn't cost anything, but some districts require you to have 50 hours or more of volunteer service just because they don't want to certify people that are only going to cut firewood in their backyard. Um, it is a safety yeah. course, gotcha. but our, our purpose is to get – trails cleared in the national forest. 
So, and with the certification, I guess that kind of works to help uh, you're covered under the uh, Forest Service Insurance Program? Or yes, the Workman's work? Comp. If, if the accident okay. happens on their property, I mean, if you get a chainsaw act, uh, accident in your backyard, obviously no. Not going to cover you, right. <laughs> But it but it does when you're certified then that that allows you to be covered under the Forest Services uh, work comp program. Then. Okay, all right. Well, either a crosscut saw, which will wear me out very quickly, or a chainsaw it takes a lot of a lot of effort to get that done. So uh, the certification is very much needed, I'm sure. And, uh, man, I tell you what, I appreciate you guys getting out and working on these trees because mm-hmm. I've been through tra- trails where you just can't go over them. you got to go around them. Right. And there again, you, well, you don't gonna... want to you want to minimize the impact of what you're doing to the resource as you go around the tree. Right, right. Well, I mm-hmm. want to take a real quick break. And listen to a song by a friend of ours, Mr. Michael Martin Murphy. It's called Mountain Storm, which brings down these trees that have to be removed by crosscut or chainsaw. And when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Joanne Mitchell and Randy Rasmussen on Saddle Up America.
Michael Martin Murphy, Mountain Storm, from his Red River Drifter album. And uh, today we are talking with Mr. Randy Rasmussen out in Oregon. And unusual for us, we actually have had a couple of guests from Tennessee today. So we're talking with uh, Joanne Mitchell, who is up in East Tennessee, and both of these folks are backcountry horsemen. Joanne, I have yes. got to ask you about the riding ties that you and Bobby put on. And then I really have to ask you about this Pack Brewer race. I've never heard of such a thing. Tell us about these. Okay. Uh, a riding tie is two people and one horse. They alternate between riding the horse and running, you know, trail running. Uh, and I wow. offer distances anywhere between four and 75 miles. And uh, I've been doing that for about 22 years. Wow. So I, I have two of those events. One's at East Fork Stables up near Jamestown, and the other okay. one is at Big South Fork. The one at Big South Fork is in September, and the one near Jamestown is in April. And last year, uh, for the first time, I added the Packboro race along with uh, the Ride and Tie. And, of course, they can do, again, any kind of distance they want. Last year I only had four entries, and they all did the four-miler, and that's fine. Wow. Um, wow. Running is acceptable. Walking is acceptable. They do not ride the burrow. They have to lead the burrow on a maximum 15-foot okay. length of lead rope. And it's a hoot. It, it's really fun, and the people are great. <laughs> so are they – I mean, they're carrying a pack or what? Um, well, at, at, for the – Four milers, it's not required to, you know, for the borough to carry a pack um, out west where Colorado, it is the historic state sport. Um, okay. Tennessee doesn't have a state sport. It's probably football. But the. Amen to that. The uh, pack the borough should carry. Should weigh 33 pounds, which includes a gold pan, a pick, and a shovel. Of you know, it can uh-huh. be a plastic gold pan. It's it's fun. Um, okay. But uh, and the people are great. The people are really great. So how many oh, folks that, do you so have curious. that have burrows? I was just curious about that. How many folks actually have burrows that they're using? Um, out west, I mean, people have pens of them, you know. Yeah. Uh, they get them from the BLM or a lot of these wild horse and burrow adoptions. Um, you do need to work with your burrow. It's not, you know, just pull a burrow out of a field just because right. you've been guard, guarding cattle. That, you know, right. you do right. need to work with a burrow. Um, a guy wrote a book called Running with Sherman about his adventure running the um, Pack Burrow race out in Colorado. And, you know, he spent some time toning up the burrow, um, you know, getting him used to uh, running alongside the runner. Sometimes they get separated. That's not good. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't think so. <laughs> but uh, the the adventure of it, you know, just makes it cool. 
and I'm, I'm used to doing unusual things. For four years, I did a, a triathlon involving trail running, horseback riding, and mountain bike riding. Um, but that was in 2000 through 2003. And wow. So I'm used to doing unusual things. The, the problem with a lot of these things is getting the insurance to cover the liability. Mm-hmm. I've got you. I've got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I know we've always had to get insurance to cover our, our rendezvous events as well. So mm-hmm. that's, that's another story. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to just jump in. Hi. I I wasn't on the show the very first few minutes. I apologize. This is Bobby. <laughs> Hi there. Hi there. So Packboro racing, that's so fun. I just just because you just mentioned it, I I found information about it in the state of Colorado where it's mm-hmm. the official summer heritage sport. Mm-hmm. And of course it it um connects to the mining history of Colorado. And um, because miners couldn't ride the animals, they could only walk leading the donkey. That's why in this race, that's the same way that you you all do it there in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. How fun is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you get a lot of these runners that, um, in fact, uh, the last couple years out west, they've got what they call the Triple Crown, and it's three back-to-back 30-mile races with your donkey. And... Donkey, the donkey can be any size, miniature, standard, or mammoth. And uh, I think last year it was won by a little mini donkey named. Bob. Oh wow! Wow! <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, how fun! How fun! Too funny. Too funny. <laughs> we learn something new every month, don't we, Gary? I think so. I think so. <laughs> That's something I'd like to watch. That is something I'd like to watch. Well, in the riding. Size too. I mean, I have I've heard about those, but I've actually never seen one. So, uh, do you have a lot of participants in those, Joanne? Um, in the riding ties, um, it's really picked up on east of the Mississippi. Even though this is the year, first year we'll have a world championship uh, out in California again. And okay. We'll, um, in those races, they might have, you know, a team is the two people in the horse and they may have up to 50 teams and that's at least oh, wow. 30 to 35 miles. Um, wow. I usually get uh, 10 to 15 teams on the East coast. Wow. In any wow. one distance. Wow. That, wow. That's still pretty good. That, mm-hmm. that is pretty good. Any of those yeah, would exclude me. Yeah, I, I had one lady who was a triathlete, you know, the regular one, the, the swimming, the running, and, and the bike riding, and she tried riding tie, and she says, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> but again, you, you start with a four-miler, and you work up. You don't just jump into okay. a championship. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. No 35 miles mm-hmm. for me. No, no. I'm, I'm still at the, you know, wow. five-mile range myself, so. And I'm slow. Oh wow! I'm very slow. That's I always give good. a turtle award. I always That's give a turtle. Uh, award. A turtle <laughs> award. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Backcountry Horse of America's legacy. Uh, what the is legacy, that for? And, the legacy, yeah. Okay. What is that for? Um, the legacy committee is in charge of trying to get a 
uh, foundation established to run Backcountry Horsemen of America sort of on its own. We're trying to run, uh, raise about a half a million dollars, which will be invested, and so that we can, you know, make our living expenses off the interest. Uh, we've got about 20% of that um, raised. Uh, so it, it's just a work in progress. I mean, a lot of people are getting on in years, and if they want to throw their money at the Legacy Committee so that Backcountry Horsemen of America can, you know, exist in perpetuity, that would be a great okay. thing. you just got to mark on the memo line of your check that it is for the Legacy Committee because Backcountry Horsemen is into a lot of different activities. You know, we're, we're sort of a spider web as far as we have a uh, – a grant support um, a, a grant where chapters can apply for a grant. Maybe they, you know, are doing a, a multi-phase project somewhere that, you know, may, maybe they need $500 to, to rent equipment for this project, or maybe they just need a new chainsaw and can't find another avenue to do it. You know, that's right. what that grant support committee is for. Okay. And so All right. We're into that. And, and Gary, How can... Randy, let me just. Yeah, go ahead, Randy. Just want to highlight this as an example of how Joanne, as a volunteer with the Southern Appalachian Chapter, is also working with the Backcountry Horsemen of America National across the nation on this legacy fund, and how she and Bobby have been so integrated at the chapter level, the state level in Tennessee, and, and, and the, the national level for our organization over so many years that they contribute, you know, amazing amount of time at all these different levels to support the organization, you know, all with the intent to keep trails open and to perpetuate the, you know, equestrian lifestyle and use of trails. It's just another demonstration of how far they go. Um, as volunteers to, at every level of the organization to support us in our in our work. So I just uh, Joanne's work on that legacy committee, you know, regarding that fund is just another example of that. That I think is just really exemplary uh, of what our volunteers do, uh, you know, time and again. Yeah, Randy, well, do you is. have the numbers for last year? How much? Not at my fingertips. No. <laughs> okay. I, I see on the Facebook page for Backcountry Horsemen that I know this is a, a year and some uh, off in the future, but you'll be celebrating the 50th anniversary on, uh, if it's still on schedule, April 15th of 2023 in Montana. Indeed, Bobby. And yeah, BCHA was first formed in 1973 in the Flathead Valley of Montana by that very first chapter of individuals who said, we need to start giving back. We need to start being proactive with, in this case, the U.S. Forest Service. Of course, our mission has expanded to include all federal lands and even state lands and county uh, and states where we're present. But we're going to make a deal about our 50th anniversary because how many, you know, trail maintenance groups have been around for 50 years? I think we're probably mm -hmm. only one of the few <laughs> and it's only from those volunteer efforts from the men and women of BCHA that we've been able to do that. And now we're in 32 states. So it's, it's definitely worth celebrating because our membership is over, you know, 10, 11, 12,000 people nationally. 
200 chapters plus in those those 32 states, we've got a lot to celebrate. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the bottom line is always keeping trails open for everybody because if we keep a trail open, you know, for our horses, we're we're helping the hikers, we're helping the bird watchers, the hunters, the anglers, everybody uh, enjoy their public land. So that's definitely, you know, a, a great thing to celebrate in 50 years. Half a century is, is you know, noteworthy. Absolutely. It is very much. So, very much mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. so uh, Joanne, if somebody would like to contribute to the Legacy Fund, how could they do that? Uh, they could send a check. We do accept checks to the uh, Backcountry Horse of America and write a legacy fund on it. And uh, the address of Backcountry Horseman America is P.O. Box. Randy, can you help me out here? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll pull it up in just a second. And you can also look it up on our website, bcha.org. Well, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, for most people that are listening, it's probably going to be easier for them to go to the website. Yeah, and, it's and Columbia Falls, Montana. I do okay. know that. All right. All right. Yeah, no, I'll org is the website. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. Our, P- our P.O. Go box ahead. in Columbia Falls, Montana is 1182. So P.O. box 1182, Columbia Falls, Montana, and the, the zip is 59912. All right. All right. Well, and the other thing, too, is you can get involved by joining Backcountry Horse of America, and you can do that on the website as well. Get involved in your state and local chapter level as well. And you guys have absolutely been great. I I got to I gotta try to make it to one of your uh, tie and ride events ride and tie, somewhere. Yeah, yeah ride and tie event. So that would be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun to watch, not participate. <laughs> Let me make that clear. Let me make that clear. Well, Randy, thank you so much. We'll see you coming up in February, which is not too far off. And Joanne, look forward to having you back with us again in the future. And maybe you can bring Bobby along as well. <laughs> I hope That'd to. be a lot of fun. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we're going to take a listen to a song by R.W. Hampton called Drifting Again. We'll be back in just a moment to wrap things up on Saddle Up America. Drifting again like an old tumbleweed Riding the wind with the dandelion sea Someday I'll land, but I don't know when Till then I'm drifting again She cut me loose and told me don't come back Now I'm like a hobo by the railroad track Drifting again like an old tumbleweed Riding the wind Dandelion seeds Someday I'll land But I don't know when Till then I'm drifting again Drifting now, Joe North, south 
that is a great weekend that uh, that the ladies enjoy and bond together. You can visit her website at MaryKHolt.com and visit the Girl Meets West uh, page on her website to find out more about that. And then we've got another rendezvous coming up at the end of September and the 1st of October. And, Bobby, I'm just thinking, you know, we might could do some kind of a brewer race or a mule race. Oh. <laughs> that kind of got me thinking, you know. That yeah. could be a fun thing. That's yeah. A good, good thing. What's yeah, going on with your... Um, Well, let's see. Uh, we have a couple more weeks to January. This month, um, purchases made of products in our Hero Collection support a nonprofit called Sanctuary. Um, I met this nonprofit through um, through a performer. And uh, Sanctuary is a profit is profit inspired to help humanity move. Sanctuary is a project inspired to help humanity move into the unifying power of music, love, and positive solution. And um, and we really enjoy um, this group. So that's um, a, a wonderful, that's our beneficiary, um, actually for December and this month. So we were hoping to raise them a little bit of money through our hero collection at outwestshop.com. All right. Check that out and uh, get involved. Help support the nonprofit as well. Well, it's been a fun show. And uh, next week we have Mickey Furman. You've met her, Bobby. Yes. She was at uh, yes. uh, Western Music Association convention this past year. And, and got mm-hmm. to spend some time with her. She has a great new album out. And so we're going to be featuring that and visiting with her and talking a little bit more. We have uh, the Tennessee chapter of the International Western Music Association that we're going to be kicking off. We had a few setbacks this month with the death in my family and some other things, but uh, we're getting geared up for that, and we'll be making some announcements about that and some activities that are coming up in association with that as well. So if you're in Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia, Arkansas, uh, the Carolinas, and want to get involved with that, uh, we'll be posting some things shortly on uh, our website and as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages, too. So anything else that you want to tell us about? Any kind of closing thoughts that you've got for today? Yes, I have uh, one of Mark Twain's. I actually have two quick quotes. This one's Mark Twain. Apparently, there is nothing that cannot happen today. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and as we just had a plumber in our garage, I would say that is absolutely true. Um, and from Shirley Briggs, let's dare to be ourselves, for we do that better than anyone else can. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, it's been a fun show. Good to have you with us today, and uh, we'll try to stay warm here in Tennessee. I think it's supposed to be another cold, cold day tomorrow here, but uh, we've got the heat going and the coffee's on. So it'll be a good day in Tennessee tomorrow as well as today. We're going to close out the show with another song. This You remember Ryan Murphy and the Sawdust Brothers? We had them on a yes. couple of years ago. Yes, this absolutely. This is a great song from uh, one of their albums. It's 
called Amelia Farewell. I thought it just fit in good today. And we'll take a listen to that. We will see you all on the radio next Thursday, beginning at noon for the Campfire Cafe, followed by Saddle Up America. See you next week. In the early light of day But sometimes I can still hear her say Please don't ride with the boys today But an outlaw never listens anyway It was a cold cowboy goodbye didn't have an alibi She said the price on your head is high Wanted men don't come back alive Blue sky, sage and snow The pinion burning low Morning mission bell Amelia Farewell Farewell We had the drop On the fence They were all Left for dead How could I know It was my head My brothers would feel less They saw the fear in my eyes As they laughed and let those bullets fly I fell face down in the night They took the gold Left me there to die Blue sky, sage and snow The pinion burning low Morning mission bell Amelia, farewell A me.